Well, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 together this morning. Um, and, and what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pick up where Bill left off last week. And we're going to move into a portion of Scripture where we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at what Jesus had to say about the end times. And I think all of us would agree that there is a heightened emphasis today on all things in time. And so this morning, not only are we going to be walking through, um, continue walking through the book of Matthew, but we're also, if you remember, in the middle of Passion Week. Okay, it is Wednesday. In a matter of hours, Jesus is going to be arrested, and he is going to be tried, and he is going to be crucified on the cross. On this particular day, Jesus has been in the temple, and he has pronounced seven woes against the, the religious leaders. He has called them hypocrites. He has called them whitewashed tombs. And he's done this because the Pharisees, they preached one thing, and they, and they practiced a different thing, didn't they? They were superficial. They looked real good on the outside, but in the in, inside, they were dead men walking. And so now what we're doing is we're picking up where, where, where the disciples in Jesus have now left the temple. So let's begin reading this morning in verse 1. It says this, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples come came to point out to him the buildings of the temple now the temple was the center of all jewish worship it was the place where the holy of holies was there was a very place where the presence of the lord dwelt it is said that the temple was one of the most beautiful places one of the most spectacular um Man-made centers ever. The Jewish historian Josephus said this, that the temple was covered with gold plates, and when the sun shone on them, it was blinding to look at. Where there was gold, where there were, was not gold, there were blocks of marble of such pure white that from a distance strangers thought there was snow on the temple. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus left the temple and was going away and the disciples come up to him and they point out to Jesus the sheer beauty of the temple. It could be that at that specific time the sun had just hit the temple just right where the where the where the it was just um, spectacular to look at maybe that that gold was just um, sparkling to the point where it was just the beauty was beyond um, comprehensible they were clearly amazed by the place man had created for the glory of the Lord to dwell but the problem was they had God in the flesh with them, didn't they? They had the glory of the Lord right there in their midst, but they didn't realize it. If you remember, the disciples are still kind of clueless at this point. Even though Jesus had taught with them for three years, walked with them for three years, and told them on three separate occasions that he was going to be crucified, the disciples were still not fully aware of everything that Jesus had taught them. So they were not fully aware of what Jesus had, had said when he had spoken of his death um, by crucifixion. And they also are not aware 
that the center of Jewish worship will not be in the temple or in a synagogue. It will not be in one place, but it will be anywhere where believers gather together to, to worship, to pray, and to study the Word of God. That is still true today. The center of your worship is not within the walls of this church. If the center of your worship is what happens in here on Sunday morning, then I want you to know right now you're going to be incredibly let down. It doesn't matter how good the worship is on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter how good the preaching is on Sunday morning. If, if this is the only place where you come together to dwell with the Lord, then that is a problem. You're going to be incredibly let down. And Jesus is telling his disciples here, he's telling them, and he wants them to understand that the center of all worship is not what happens in that temple. Because what we see next is this. And first, um, first of all, let me read this passage of scripture to you. This is what we read. Paul wrote these words, okay, about The presence of the Lord. When you became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came upon you. And the presence of the Lord dwells within you. You and I now are the temple of the Lord. We are the ones that have the Holy Spirit within us so that when we go outside the doors of this church, we represent the Lord Jesus Christ wherever it is that we go. Then 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Paul wrote these words, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of the Lord, Dwells within us. Jesus is about to make clear to these hard headed disciples and to us that the temple that they were so admiring would, in a matter of years, be completely destroyed. He says in verse 2, He says, You see all these, don't you? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown away. In 70 A.D., under the rule of Nero, the temple was completely and utterly destroyed. We read, um, one commentator said this, It was said at the fall of Jerusalem, the last surviving Jews of the city fled to the temple because it was the strongest and most secure building in the city. Roman soldiers surrounded it, and one drunken soldier started a fire that soon engulfed the whole building. Ornate gold detail work in the roof melted down into the cracks between the stone walls of the temple. Then to retrieve the gold, the Roman commander ordered that the temple be dismantled stone by stone. So even today, archaeologists have been trying for years to identify exactly where the four cornerstones would be of the temple. But they have not yet been able to figure out just how big and massive the temple was. Jesus said that it would be utterly destroyed, and it was utterly destroyed. So let's continue reading together this morning. In Matthew chapter 24, let's read 3 through 14 together. We read this. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them so that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars so that you are not alarmed for this must take place 
but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Then these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Then because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Our message point this morning is this, the end is near. The end is near. Now let me clarify that statement. Every generation since these words were spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ have claimed that the end is near. And as we will see this morning, many of the signs that Jesus indicates as the signs of the end of time have already been occurring since the beginning of Jesus uttering these very words. So we all need to be on the same page. Even though we do not know when Jesus is going to return, we do know this, that the return is closer today than at any other time in human history. Jesus could very well return today. He may return tomorrow. It may be next year. It may be, I pray, during our lifetime, but it may not be. It may be after we have already perished. Regardless of when his return will be, we are to live our lives as if it is today. Not only do we live our lives as if his return is imminent, we proclaim the good news of salvation to others, believing that his return is imminent. As we will see this morning, many people throughout the ages have predicted to the day and to the hour that the Lord Jesus Christ, what day that will be and when that time would be. But every single one of them that have predicted that have been absolutely wrong, haven't they? Even Jesus, and we're going to look at this in a few weeks, even Jesus said he didn't know the time or the hour that he would return. So we see here in verse 3, the disciples have come up to Jesus. Jesus is sitting on the um, the, the, the the Mount of Gethsemane, or, or, or in the Mount of Olives. And the disciples come up to him and they ask Jesus two questions. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age?" And Jesus tells them two different things. Or the disciples ask two different questions. They want to know when the temple would be destroyed, and they also want to know. The signs of his return. And what does Jesus do? He first gives them the signs and then we'll look later at the rest. So this morning we're going to look at six signs that Jesus gives his disciples and us to help prepare us for his coming return. And the first sign is this. There will be spiritual deception. In verses 4 through 5 again we read, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. The first clear sign given to us and to the disciples is this. Jesus, many people will come claiming to be the Messiah. We know that throughout the history of the church, that has been the case. There have been hundreds of people that have come claiming to be the Messiah. 
Even today, there are, there are more than a half a dozen people that live on this earth claiming to be the Messiah. There's a couple that live here in, in, in the United States. Others live in different parts of the world. But there are going to be people that come claiming to be the Messiah. That is a sign that Jesus' return is near. But there's also going to be spiritual deception. And it is going to come in the form of false religions. Religions that spring up claiming to be Christian, but are not Christian at all. One of those being Mormonism. Millions upon millions of people around the world believe that they hold the key to heaven. Hear me, many people within the Protestant church believe that Mormons are going to heaven. And I want you to know right now, that is so far from true. Even one of their prophets a few years ago said that the Jesus that we believe in, speaking to um, a group of, of, of people that he was teaching, the Jesus that we believe in is not the Jesus that they believe in. So they are saying that they believe in a Jesus different than the Jesus that you and I believe in. Right there, that tells you that is a false religion. They may be good people. They may do good things. They may look good on the outside and say all the right things. But the Jesus they believe in is not the Jesus you and I believe in. So do not be deceived by Mormons. Another group out there is Christian scientists. The very name sounds Christian, but there is nothing Christian about this group. Others, such as Jehovah Witnesses, they believe that Jesus Christ is Michael, the archangel. They do not believe he is the son of God, but a created being just like any of us in this room. How about Church of Scientology, the religion of the stars? You know, the only reason that church is in the name of the Church of Scientology is so that they can be tax exempt. It's the only reason they have church in their name. Don't be deceived by their name thinking that they are Christian. Getting back to Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses. They may seem to be outwardly Christian in their talk and conduct, but each of these groups are rejecting the true Christ. Each of these groups are leading their followers to an eternity without Christ. Ray Pritchard wrote, As we approach the end of the age... Spiritual deception will increase because spiritual gullibility will increase. Do not be deceived. Another sign of Christ's imminent return will be international conflict. In verses 6 and 7 we read, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Someone once said that the history of humanity is a history of war. That, that is true when you think about it. If you study the history of wars, you realize that there has never been a period of time within human history where there has not been some form of squabbling or war or, 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 or something, some form um, throughout the human history. Think about the wars that have occurred just in the, during the lifetime of those that are in this room. Hundreds if not thousands of wars have broke out across this world during our lifetime. Some of you in this room, when you think when you can directly relate to a family member being involved um, in one of these wars that the USA have been a part of, World War II, okay, um, just several months ago, 
we had a dear man within our church that passed away that was in World War II, the last living man of our church that was in, to my knowledge, that was a part of World War II. Korean War, some of you fought in the Korean War. Vietnam War, some of you fought in the Vietnam War. Some of you were involved and fought in the Gulf Wars. Those are four wars that I can think about during, um, during the lifetimes that would be represented in this room that, that we have lived through or had family members directly involved in. Many of you in this room defended this country fighting in those wars. Many of you in this room even remember living in fear of the final war of all wars, a nuclear war. Some of you remember those nuclear tests that you had in school where the alarm would go off off and you would get down under your desk thinking that that's going to protect you from the radiation. We've lived through that. Many of you have. There have been hundreds if not thousands of other conflicts that have occurred during our lifetime. John MacArthur in his commentary um, on Matthew wrote these words, there seems to be no distinction between nation and kingdom within our focal passage this morning unless the former represents countries with a form of democracy and the latter those under a form of dictatorship. The point is that no group of people will be exempt from war or the threat of war. The conflicts will undoubtedly include racial, ethnic, and cultural, as well as national confrontations, much as we see in the world today, except on a vaster and more tense scale. Confrontations of every sort will accelerate throughout the world. We can be certain that there will not be peace on earth before Jesus Christ is going to return. There is going to be utter chaos that's going to break out on, at every corner of this world. There is going to be conflict and much calamity. As Christians, we should not fear such times because those conflicts are a sign of Christ's return. There's also going to be natural disasters. In verse 7b through 8 we read, And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and these are but the beginning of the birth pains. We can certainly say that we are living in a day in which we are experiencing some catastrophic natural disasters. I mean, think about what we've seen in recent years. Think about the hurricanes that ravaged the Caribbean just this past um, summer. And you think about the typhoons that have, that have, have ravaged parts of, of Asia and, and the southern hemisphere. There have been wildfires that have broken out across the United States. I mean, California, New Mexico, Colorado, the, the storms that they have seen or the, the fires that they are seeing has, have burned hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of acres over the past couple of years. There have been catastrophic volcanoes that have erupted in recent years, earthquakes that have hit across this world. I mean, just a couple that I think of is um, a couple of years ago in Ecuador, where we were this past week, there was a major earthquake that hit um, in one of the coastal communities in which two or three thousands of people died. There was the Nepal earthquake that hit a few years ago in which thousands upon thousands of people died. Several years ago, um, the tsunami that hit Sri Lanka, 250,000 people were, were swept away and they were killed in that event. These are signs of Christ's coming. But understand this, it's going to get worse before it gets better. In verse 8, once again, Jesus says, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. I've never had a child. 
But I understand that when a woman goes into labor and they begin to experience contractions, those kind of hurt a little bit. Okay, right now we may be seeing the beginning of those contractions. But it is going to get much worse before it gets better is what the Lord Jesus Christ tells us in this passage of Scripture. The world as we know it will get much worse before Christ returns. There will be many more wars. There will be many more natural disasters on a scale that we have never witnessed before. There is going to be famine. There are going to be droughts. Civilizations are going to be cut off from one another. And they're going to have no access to, um, to, to um, basic necessities. And so they're going to experience famine and poverty as a result. Notice the fourth sign Jesus gives the disciples. There will be brutal persecution. In verse 9 we read, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Before Christ's return, the persecution of Christians will be heightened. And here is the reality when it comes to persecution. Reaching back to Matthew chapter 5, okay, it's been about a year and a half ago before we were in Matthew 5 where we looked at the different Beatitudes. Here is the reality. If you and I, and we looked at this during that study, if you and I live according to the, the, the first seven Beatitudes, one thing that we can be certain of is the eighth the, 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 the eighth beatitude. In verse 10 of Matthew chapter 5, we read, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As kingdom disciples, as kingdom citizens that lived during the days before the return of Christ, we can be certain that persecution will not be just for the few that live in some foreign part of this world, but it will encompass the entire world. The entire Christian church will experience some form of persecution. No true believer, as we read in this passage of Scripture, will be able to escape it. One commentary the commentator wrote these words, to live as subjects of the kingdom of heaven is to be set over against the rest of society, which does not share its values. And the result may be, indeed, the uncompromising wording of this beatitude suggests that it will be persecution. Sobering thought, isn't it? Man, I wish that I would have come back from the mission trip to give you just this real big uplifting sermon. But unfortunately, because we're walking through Matthew chapter 24, um, this is the reality. These are the very words that Jesus spoke. But do not, as we walk through this, do not think that we are just talking about um, sobering things here. These should be things that, that kind of get us a little bit excited because the more of this stuff that we see in our world means that Christ's return is that much closer. So that should give us a little bit of, 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 of comfort this morning. It shouldn't, it shouldn't scare us. We shouldn't be afraid, but we should be comforted knowing that all these things that we're seeing in our world today and the things that are going to come, man, that just means that Jesus Christ, his return is that much closer. Once again, getting back to our, 
are, are, are um, talking about persecution. If you and I live out the first seven Beatitudes, if we live as poor beggars before our Heavenly Father, if we mourn over our sin, if we live under the control of Jesus, if we are people that practice forgiveness, if we live pure lives, if we yearn after righteousness, if we yearn to be in right standing with God 24-7, if we seek to be peacemakers and reconcilers, if we live according to the first seven Beatitudes, we can be certain that the eighth is coming. We will experience persecution. More and more countries today are tightening the vice against the church and against Christians. We all know about places like North Korea. We all know about places like um, the Middle Eastern countries. We're all familiar with China. And, and in fact, this morning, we've got one of our very own that's in China on mission. And we need to pray for her as she's over there. She's in a safe part of the country, and so that's comforting. But we still want to pray for her as she's on mission. And then there's also places like Russia. You know that it's illegal today to proclaim the good news of salvation um, in Russia? You can't do street evangelism. You can't even go to your next-door neighbor and knock on their door and tell them that Jesus loves them. I've been to Russia four different times, and I've done that very thing. If I was to do it today, I could very well be arrested. Um, at, the, at the least, what's going to happen is my visa would be revoked. I'd be put on the next plane back to America. But this is what's going on in our world today. But as Americans, we should not be deceived into thinking that only those that live under the repressive dictator governments will experience persecution. It is not here yet, but you can be certain that it is coming to America. There is going to be a day when, as Christians, we will be persecuted for our faith. Yeah, we, we hear about different um, believers today being persecuted. Um, and most of that is um, a, a verbal persecution or, or through um, um, something that happens with their places of business because they've chosen to stand, um, represent Christ in their faith. They're persecuted, made fun of, and ridiculed. Businesses have closed as a result. But th- it's going to get worse in America. And here's what I believe. When persecution comes to America... Two things are going to happen. Two things are clear. Number one, Christ's return is that much closer. And number two is this. I believe that when persecution comes to America, the Christian church is going to experience a revival in America like we've never experienced before. No longer are we going to sit um, in our pews as Christians and, and be complacent. No longer are we going to sit in our pews and twiddle our thumbs waiting for the clock to strike um, whatever. Um, We don't get out at noon, so we're not going to even say noon. Um, But we're not going to do that. We're going to come together, whether it's in buildings like this or whether it's in our homes or or whether it's in wherever it might be. And we're going to come together and we're going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit and truth. And we're going to celebrate those that lose their faith for Jesus' sake. Because those that lose their faith for Jesus' sake, we know that maybe 10 people will come to faith as a result of that. That's what's happening in different parts of the world today. I do not long for the day when you and I are persecuted, but I am not afraid of that day, and I hope that you are not either. Notice the fifth sign. It's this, worldwide apostasy. We read in verse 10 through 12, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 
And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. One writer stated the verses, these verses paint a picture of unprecedented religious apostasy in the last days. They especially apply to so-called Christian leaders who depart from the Christian faith. These are the leaders who deny the inerrancy of the Bible, deny the necessity for the blood atonement, deny the virgin birth, deny the lostness of all people. They deny the reality of eternal hell. They deny that those who die without Jesus are lost forever. They turn away after fads and popular social causes and ponder to the powers that be. They support the killing of unborn babies, support gay rights, support the rights of pornographers to practice their evil trade. They do not preach the gospel because they do not even believe the gospel. They are wolves in sheep clothing. They preach a message that tickle their congregants' ears. And there will be consequences for that. There will be lasting consequences for that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, we read this. But understand this, that is not, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. So these men also oppose the truth men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You and I must watch out for men and women that preach and teach a false gospel. We must watch out for them. Because they are here today and they are going to come in greater force before Jesus returns. The final sign is this. There will be global evangelism. In verses 13 through 14, we read, but the one who endures to the end will be saved and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Yes, you and I can be certain before Jesus comes, there will be spiritual deception. There will be wars. There will be natural disasters. There will be brutal persecution. There will be false teachers who rise up to tickle the ears of their congregants. But for us in this room that in that endure to the end, then we are going to be a part of the global expanse of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is already expanding amongst the unreached people groups of this world today. But come the end, there will be global evangelization. Every nation, every tongue, every people group will have had access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That does not mean that everybody's going to become a believer, but it means that everyone will have had access to the gospel of Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ. Folks, I believe that there is a great push, unlike any other time in church history, to see the nations of this world come to Christ. I believe the church and parachurch ministries are doing a great job of providing the necessary needs to reach the unreached of this world. But there is a problem. Jesus said, That the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
And I believe that is just as true today as when Jesus uttered those words close to 2,000 years ago. The harvest is plentiful. The nations are ripe for the reception of the gospel, but the workers are few. What we need out of this room and out of other evangelical churches, we need preachers to rise up and plant churches, and disciple men, women, students, and children, and prepare them to become disciple makers. We need missionaries leaving our home churches and going to the nations. We need translators who are going to help translate the gospel into the still hundreds of languages that are needed today. There are still hundreds of people groups that do not have the gospel in their native tongues, and their need We need translators that are going to rise up and help translate God's word into their dialect. We need prayer warriors. We may not be able to go to the nations, but you can certainly pray for those that are going to go to the nations. The church and these parachurch ministries also need financial resources to pay for all the work that must be done. You may be here this morning and you're not physically able to get on airplanes and go and, and with boots on the ground and proclaim the good news of salvation amongst the nations. But you know what you can do because God has blessed you financially. You can give to those that do go, to those organizations that are all about translating the gospel into native tongues so that those people can be exposed to the name of Jesus Christ for the first time in their lifetimes. There are many things we know about end times and many things that we still do not know. But the one thing we do know is that Jesus Christ is coming again. If his return was today, would you be ready? Ask yourself that question this morning. If Jesus Christ was to return to this earth today, would you be ready? Two things are clear. For those that have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of their sins and cried out to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their lives, they have been given the promise that they will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Scripture is also clear for those that choose not to do that or try to wait until it's too late, they will spend eternity in a real place called hell. Do you know Jesus this morning? If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? If you don't know the answer to that, in just a moment, I'm going to be standing here at the front, and I want to give you an opportunity to come and say, hey, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know Jesus, and I would love to share with you. You may not feel comfortable coming forward, um, and if that's the case, find me after the service. Find Bill after this service. Find somebody within this room that you know is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Says, hey, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. And we'd love to share with you how you can come to know Jesus. Church, as I've often said, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that wants to see the nations of this world fall on their knees and acknowledge Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That includes taking the gospel to the nations. And I want to be a church that continues to take the gospel to the nations. I also want to be a church that takes the gospel throughout the United States throughout the state of Texas, throughout Collin County. 
and throughout the cities that are not only represented in this church, but the city that, that this church resides in, Fairview, Texas, and Allen, Texas, and Lucas, Texas, and McKinney, Texas, and Princeton, Texas, and Wiley, Texas, Murphy, Texas, all of these different cities that are represented in this room. We have all been called to go and preach the good news of salvation amongst those that we, that we come in contact with. Folks, the end is not yet. But the end is nearer today. It is closer today than at any other time in church history. Let us live our lives as if Christ's return is today. People depend on us to live our lives as if Christ's return is today. Because if we really live our lives believing that Christ's return is imminent, then we're going to want to share the good news of salvation with those that we love. Because we want them, too, to go to eternity, into eternity with us in heaven, don't we? Man, let's represent Christ in and through all that we do. Let's stand together. If you're here this morning and there's a decision you need to make, if you need to come trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I invite you to come and surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and Christ, call out to Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You may be here this morning and, and you realize, man, God, is, God has been pressing upon my heart for, for days, months, years that I need to surrender my life to, to full-time ministry. Maybe it's to preach. Maybe it's to become a, a, a missionary to the nations. Maybe it's to, um, to start a parachurch ministry that the Lord is calling you to. You may be here in this, morning, this room this morning and you realize, man, I'm just not living my life the way Jesus would want me to live my life. You may need to come to this altar and pray. You may need to just have a seat where you're at and pray. I don't know what the Lord is doing, how he's stirring your heart this morning, but if there's a decision you need to make, do not delay in making it. Do not wait until tomorrow to give your life to Jesus. Do not wait until 10 years from now to surrender your life to the ministry. Do it today if the Lord is leading you to do that. Let's bow our head. I'm going to pray for us. And when I say amen, you come. Lord Jesus, Father, I know that a message like this is a heavy message. It's a weighty message. There is so much that we've looked at just in the few minutes, our few minutes together. But, Father, this is not a message that is, is, is all about, um, it, it wasn't a message intended to get us down. But more than anything, it should be a message that, that, that peps us up because we know the more things that we see described in your word, like these six different signs, the more things that we see in the heightenedness of it and in, in the intensity level um, of, of, of this, these things that occur in our, in our world just means you're that much closer to returning. And, Father, we all long for that day. We all long, Father, for that day whenever you return and you snatch us away to be with you for all of eternity. Oh, Father, come soon. Come soon. We need you, Lord Jesus. Come soon. Our world needs you. Father, but we also know, Lord Jesus, that you have called us to be ministers of the gospel. 
You have called us to be your ambassadors. You have empowered us with your Holy Spirit and given us the great commission and called us to go. We are your hands and your feet. We are your representatives that you have called to go to the nations. And so, Father, we just want to do that. We want to be obedient to that. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that all of us will have a passion for that. Because you called us to it. Father, if there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, may you draw them unto salvation today. May they make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, if there's another response that someone needs to make in this room, Lord Jesus, I pray that you will just lead them to do that. Father, we love you. And we just want to continue to worship you this morning during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make this morning, you come. If you need to come surrendering your life to Jesus, you come. If you need to come and make another decision, you come. Our instruments are going to play for just uh, a few moments. Let's bow our head. Let's close our eyes. Let's spend some time in prayer, some time reflecting upon the words of the Lord in his word this morning. But if there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come now.